Punters, g'day. Welcome to the Deep Dive Monday morning. Wonderful conditions here in Victoria. It's a pleasure to be welcomed by Shane Curlio and Mark Roden. Mark, I'll start with you. We're going to touch on Rose Hill to begin with, and probably yep. the pattern was the, the main point of uh, contention for the day. Not that it's necessarily uh, unexpected. It's just that it's playing a little bit... Well, it's difficult to predict, I think, is probably the way to describe the Sydney racing at the moment. Yeah, and bearing in mind that we had the highest penetrometer reading at a Rose Hill meeting for over 12 months, I think it was, um, you could expect them to be getting off the fence in the straight, you know, when it's that wet. Now, firstly, it didn't play as wet as that for a start and got an upgrade and arguably could have had more. Um, but it did. the inside lanes were definitely favoured. Not necessarily on pace, but um, no winner, according to punting form, was outside lane two at the 600, which is very strange. You'd expect... In fast paces, the, the, those poking up three and four wide with cover to be able to be in the finish, but that just wasn't the case. And in fact, seven of the ten were uh, lane four or inside, even the 200, where on a, a softish Rose Hill, you'd expect them to be getting off the fence. So um, definitely inside lanes were a plus there on Saturday. Um, but as I say, depending on tempo, you didn't necessarily have to be on speed. It's one of those where you just make note in your punting form subscription. You go up to the meeting comment, you just click that little paper note and you just write, you know, three wide cast or you know and basically just allows you to quickly review as you go back uh look the punting form performance of the day was the big easy um yeah. in race four over the 1100 is that how you saw it or do you have a, a different horse on top for the uh, performance of the day well th that's the race um that's certainly the best race on figures for the day uh, now, the Big Easy, this was a very good ride. It was back second last, even an 1,100 metre race. And what the evidence we'd seen on the first three races, you would have thought it would be unsuited. And it, it was an early market shortener, uh, but got very soft weight on the, the fair. And I think that was because of its map, well back. But it wasn't in that too wide line. It wasn't wider. And Tim Clark was able to pick his way through the, um, the one slowing down off that pretty fast pace and got the right one through and won. I mean, it's with plenty of merit in the run, it's put up a good figure. Um, but the run of the day, in my opinion, is the third horse, Ibaraki, who was actually uh, back with the Big Easy, but three wide, and then tried to loop the field and actually um, sort of was hailed the winner at about the 200, I think. But um, probably, I think the evidence says, was in the worst ground, and probably in the worst ground for the whole race as well. Uh, and he just half petered out on his run, but he's only been, been beaten less than a length. I think that was an outstanding performance. He'd won... Um, before that at Canterbury and not sensational figures but it was a style of shorter performance suggesting it had upside and I think that uh, performance on Saturday certainly confirms that and I would make him the run of the day Okay, very good, so that's something to, to follow right there, is there anything else in the meeting that really took your eye, whether it was a, a performance by a horse or any of the, uh, maybe a horse that performed under expectations um, Yeah, I've been giving a bit of thought to race 6 where we're back to Cisco Bay um, whether or not there's an excuse for him. And I'm leaning towards no. I mean, Huntingham tells us it was fast run. It certainly looked fast run to the eye. They were strung out over many, many lengths. Um, we were saying at the time that perhaps he'd left the horse too much to do, even in the fast pace. He um, it was about six, eight lengths off the lead at the 600. But looking, just going through the Huntingham data this morning, um, his last run before a break, he ran second to Pandano in, in pretty good fingers, figures at Randwick. And he personally had run identical um, benchmark figure to the 600 that day, minus 0.2. Yeah. And that day he was able to close off in minus 5.8, whereas on Saturday I think it's only minus 2.8. Now, if he'd found those extra three lengths and gone to his absolute best like he did at Randwick that day, 
he would have won. Um, despite being, uh, uh, you know, the distance from the lead he was. So uh, I think he's just braced a little bit flat first up. It was a big win first up. He, he came from last in a slow pace, very very meritorious performance, but maybe just a touch flat second up. Would you be happy to follow it again next start then? Or I think once just, more. Yeah. I think uh, in the right race. Um, wouldn't hate him away from Rose Hill now, to be honest as well, but um, I think one more. Um, that said... Uh, it's Brian and Alexi. You, they are. I haven't done the figures on this recently, but um, traditionally, though, the Ryan camp has been known as a fresh one. So you know, following it too deep into its prep could be fraught with danger. Although this horse is pretty seasoned and he's he's performed. I mean, as we just said, his his good figure last prep was his last run, the prep behind Pandano. So uh, I think he's worth one more chance at least. Okay. That's a little bit of Rose Hill. Your week ahead, Mark, is looking like uh, Kenzo Wednesday, Kembla Grange Thursday, Randwick Wyong Saturday. Uh, yes, and I will look at the bigger races from the Grafton Carnival on Wednesday and Thursday as well. I won't, okay. I won't be doing race by race or all races both days, but I'll try and pick the eyes out of it, um, both features and if anything else catches my eye on the support cards. All right, sounds good to me. Now, Curls. Can you describe, in some sort of humorous way, what has been going on with some of the senior jockeys racing around in Queensland off the track? Well, it must be news if it made a current affair. <laughs> um, J-Mac and Caitlin staying in Queensland, Hugh staying in Queensland, toad races... <laughs> Um, North Queensland soirees in the sun while it's cold everywhere else. Um, this will be a really interesting one. Uh, the outcome of this investigation will be interesting. Um, Volandis has a couple of COVID breaches across the two codes that he runs. Um, we've seen the Dragons boys having a party. Um, uh, breached some COVID uh Restrictions uh, for the for the NRL and um, a couple of leading Sydney jockeys bre- breaching some COVID uh, directives in Queensland. So um, I think the Dragons are short price to be whacked with a monetary fine, and the jockeys are a short price to be swept under the rug. <laughs> I've had something on the all up. Uh, Last word was in being being investigated in being investigated by Queensland Police was the last. The last I've heard, but we won't be reading anything about that on Race any of the Racing New South Wales sponsored media outlets. I'd like to point out. I mean, this is this is not just a racing issue; it's the law of the land at the moment. Um, Which Mister Valandis is boss of. Yeah. <laughs> we just cast your mind back to Christmas New Year, where poor old Richmond player Sydney Stack was put in jail, I think, over Christmas for breaching WA's COVID regulations. Um, he was. I don't think J-Mac or Katie will be spending any time behind bars, do you? <laughs> Careful. <laughs> Trust you, Pete, to jump to that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not up to us to decide the penalties or anything like that. But um, all I'm looking for, all I think most people will be looking for there is an outcome and maybe some consistency. I think the Dragons blokes are in trouble. Yeah. Um, but, like, I suppose they've just breached the same protocols, haven't they? whether you ride a horse or you um, bet on them, um, play footy. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the rugby league media, even though they 
you know, still need the same access and still need the same sort of relationship with the sports governing bodies, I'm more than happy to sink the boots into players when they do the wrong thing in that sport, mm. whereas that's just not the case in racing. I mean, I don't think the two situations are that far apart, are they? No, I don't think they are at all. I mean, the, the, the rugby league and AFL media surely want a good relationship with the players and the clubs, uh, but that, but there's against that, they're clearly not afraid to step on toes when it suits them. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, anyway, I don't. I was going to say watch this space, but that's a waste of time because. Um, anyway, the um, are they riding again? I. Any it, taken rides Wednesday at all, or a bit early? Uh, no, it says aren't probably out. Yeah. Yes. No. What was the wait? I was just. Oh, anyway, an saying J Mac has tough calls to make, but that's about whether he rides Zaki or very elegant. So. <laughs> oh, okay. He'll be riding Zaki. I see the very elegant form ran to, ran to form over the weekend with that Dayeb getting um, lapped in the or getting beat. Comprehensively in that coral eclipse. I was at the St Mark's Basilica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't keep up. Could but he was. I was surprised he even got up to win the race. He did win. What was it? The. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just half paying a mark. You know, but um, yeah, the, I, it was the Queen Elizabeth. I squeezed made more out of him. But that, that yeah, I, I didn't think that form was very good at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was off the track. Uh, Queensland, there's a couple of... Yep. Well, there wasn't much that happened over the weekend, let's be honest. No, we um, we had a few meetings washed out. wasn't upset about that. The thing I am upset about is the reprogramming. We have about 57 meetings to do this week. <laughs> um, so there, so we all eyes were on Mackay, basically, for us. Um, during the day, we, we held a stream for the baggies and the subscribers of the Marbag products, and we had a good look at... Um, couple of races up there now this one was i'm pro possibly talking through me kick here a little bit but i had to go and do some investigation because pistols tipped the winner at perth or tip one at perth i can't remember the name of it and aneurysm or something oh amasinus amasinus and i was on the stream layering up as usual saying whatever if this thing of pistols wins whatever i have on it i'm having on gypsy toff at Mackay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> anyway, Pistols sits last. I'm abusing the jockey, saying, look at these blokes. He's not even trying. It's a drifter, and he's out the last. Comes down the middle and pisses in. Um, uh, so, Gypsy Toff, we went We went there. I'm going to try and share my screen here, boys. Um, I don't know how that goes normally. I want to show you the stewards report. So, Gypsy Toff led. Um, Marino went outside it. And they went at a breakneck speed, um, and Gypsy Toff carved up in the straight. I just wanted to have a, a little look at the. Um, I'm not sure whether you can see that shared uh, screen uh, work. Yep. It? It, it, yep. it is, and hopefully this works for those at home. So if, if it doesn't work for those at home, I'll read it out. So Gypsy Toff led. Now I'm not having a crack at the apprentice here, but the apprentice rider A Jones was questioned regarding the tactics when leading over the early and middle stages. She advised it was her intention to settle handy from the good draw and then hand up the lead to Marino, who was a noted front runner. That was the intention. She never handed up. She then stated in hindsight she should have allowed Marino to lead and settle in the trail. 
Miss Jones acknowledged she was not aware of the speed they were travelling over the early and middle stages. Stewards concurred with Miss Jones' summation of the ride and should have made a better effort to restrain her mount to allow her to finish it off strongly. Stewards were satisfied the ride did not reach the threshold of a charge, however advised her in similar circumstances she should ensure she gives her mount the opportunity to obtain its best finishing position. Trainer Jamie McConaughey confirmed the instructions given to Miss Jones. The intention and the instruction was to be handy, then restrain and hand up to Marino. She was handy. Marino come alongside it and never handed up to it. Didn't Marino kick on, though? Didn't run second? Marino continued to push forward and run a fell into third. Um, Gypsy Toff was torched because it's raced outside of its pattern. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. Um, ridden, you know, obviously like that. Anyway, the horses got beat. Marino set outside it. It's really a, um, it's an interesting one with stewarding anyway because there's so many variables and variants of a steward's interpretations of races. Like, I'm not one for wanting apprentices to get time. I think if they do a, make an error, they should be sent to the non-tabs and have to ride 10 races without knocking someone down. Like, they're kids. They've got to learn. You're apprentices. You've got to get them on, keep them on the tools, right? Um, this instance was um, quite strange because, like... What do you make of the bloke that sat outside the leader and continued to push on and torch his mount as well? He's a senior rider. Like, should should he have acknowledged that the front wasn't there, so I'm going to restrain here and give my chance every chance? Fair question. It's like, are you in... Just because you're a noted front runner and someone wants to lead, should they, be in, should they have to hand up to you? Yeah, well, exactly right. Yeah. Um, Interesting one. I don't know what the, I don't know what right or wrong is here, but um, I think if you're a apprentice jockey and you get told to go, to go forward and then hand up to a noted front runner, and you don't do it, like you know, it's normally time, isn't it? I don't know. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. Um, I only sort of brought that up because it confused me, and um, I was on Gypsy Toff and I was filthy on it. Basically, and there's not much else to talk about in Queensland. That's about um, fair enough. <laughs> just to talk about uh, if my screen share is still working here, yep. um, uh, you know, about Stewart's reports and, and this one here, absolute glory, overraced early middle stages, performed below market expectation, amount travelled well throughout the early middle stages and was confident the mare was going to run on. However, she felt her mount's run came to an end at the 200 metres and only ran on fairly and added the mare may not have handled the dropping grade, dropping distance. The mounts run come to the end at the 200 and ran on fairly from that point and added the mare may not have handled the drop back in distance. Ran sixth. Ran sixth was uh, $4 out to <laughs> 10 <laughs> and started fifth favourite and ran sixth. So performed below market expectations or to market expectations? I think the steward should be asking there that it's performed exactly how Betfair told us it would. Please explain. Uh, there's not enough of that um, in, in racing, in my opinion. The stewards would have walked out to their tower at uh, somewhere near... Walked, walked out of the office somewhere near 20 minutes before the race, 15 minutes before the race, and would have seen the horse was $4.60. Second favourite. 
and would have had no idea that in the in the preceding ten minutes, it was ten dollars on the fare. Um, I think the stewards need more uh, more of that sort of stuff and need to ask more questions, uh, particularly around betting drifts. Um, I'd like to say that personally. As as you said, though, I, I and again, I, I don't. I'm not a steward. I haven't been in a steward's room watching the operations, but I, I do wonder how much investigation is put on betting fluctuations, market fluctuations in that 10 to 15 minutes before the race. And I wonder what amount of money triggers that um, too, Peter, because um, there's plenty of examples when you go around the countryside, but you know, you've got a horse that's in this instance was fours out to six. There was 12,000 on it, matched on it. It's not going to raise any red flags, but if I knew the horse couldn't win and I was getting 5,000 out of it, happy days, you know? Yeah. yeah. But surely, when there's, surely, Peter, when there's uh, bigger f- amounts matched, there'd be some questions raised, surely. Like, there'd be a, there'd be a trigger, figure trigger, wouldn't there? Oh, I don't know. We're, we're going to touch on that in just a little bit. Uh, I will say, in the old days, when on-course fluctuations told the tale, you know, well before Betfair, some of the more aggressive stewards, if there'd been a marked drifter, especially of a horse that had originally been fancied, they'd get a get message round to the jockeys before they went in the gates. We're watching it. I don't think that happens anymore. Gee, that'd be fun. That would yeah. be fun. Anyway, um, that's all from Queensland. Uh, from looking back, there wasn't a lot going on, as I said. Um, enjoyed the chats um, on the stream on Saturday afternoon. I held it together for a little bit. Um, as the day got on, I got a little bit more agitated. That horse that got beat at Murray Bridge... Yeah. that we were on was complete sickness, but uh, thank God, Pistol saved the day. It seemed to be what the crowd wanted, though, when you did start to it did start to get the better of you later in the afternoon. That, that's that's what fired the mm. viewers up. I'm glad we weren't on the stream for race two at Toowoomba. <laughs> like I'd sent two early bets, you know, we'd halve their we'd halve their take. They were going to start half what we took, what price we took, and then I've seen this this one getting out in the market. Now I mentioned on the stream. But I wanted to back Ready Babe late because I think it'll drift, but it's a clearly best horse. I also mentioned on the stream She's Crowned was a horse that I was sort of half interested in, but not at a 1,000 on the wet track because I just didn't think it'd run a strong 1,000. And um, so we backed Ready Babe and She's Crowned one at $23 and not a cent here. <laughs> so I'm hoping that some desperate sickos that got the stream and didn't get the notifications back that capped off a great day um, and big thanks to the South Sydney Rabbitohs and St Kilda from completely shitting the bed <laughs> last night to round out a ripping weekend in Queensland <laughs> at my house in Queensland alright uh, let's talk about WA and you sort of alluded to it girls um, maybe best in terms of some of these heftier lay orders and what it means to the market. In terms of uh, a couple of horses, we mentioned two weeks ago, there was one that I backed called Moshard at Belmont on the Saturday and one on the Sunday called Galaz du Roar at Kalgoorlie. Now, Moshard was $15 out to $17 with a lay order for roughly a liability of 60000 uh, it was $12.20 best total, $7.59 a.m. 
and it's jumped $17 Betfair SP. It's sat three wide, no cover, finished fifth, beaten 1.9 lengths. Uh, Galaz du Raw was, there was a liability of around $45,000 there between $760 to $780 out to an SP of $8.40 at Kalgoorlie. It sat four wide, no cover as a back marker. It was beaten 8.6 lengths. Uh, I think it was eighth of 10 or 10 of 12. Uh, Moshard ran on Saturday at Belmont. Ran third, beaten 0.9 lengths after being rails and run, which was completely cast there on Saturday. Nothing ran one uh, after sitting rails in run with an SP of $6.60. And Galaz Du Raw came out and won by 2.8 lengths at Kalgoorlie with an SP of $8.92 after being given a peach of a ride by Jet Stanley, who's a three kilo apprentice. He just used some level of initiative and took off into the turn and the horse completely gapped him. Now, the one thing in common with both of those is that there was a jockey switch next start and they also had something in common in that there was no huge lay orders on them. So I wonder, because again, it's WA, you don't necessarily see huge lay orders very often. Mm-hmm. Um, we did speak about it, you know, was it a Mr. Lumpy? Was it just one of those whales who's having fun? Uh, is it someone who's got a really good map? But again, at what point does the stewards ask some questions with regards to a significant lay order? Are they even aware of it? Because as some people have pointed out, well, just because the lay order's in doesn't necessarily show up as that being matched. Yeah. Um, do the WA have these sort of integrity departments that they do in Victoria and New South Wales where people are actually supposed to be watching that stuff? I believe so, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one of those where, you, uh, how would you know if the questions have been asked? Outside of, you know, you know, is it meant to be written in a steward's report? Is there some sort of uh, official channel that necessarily investigates these? I, I would hazard a guess and say no. Um, I haven't seen anything um, publicly noted. There's, there's the obvious ones sometimes when... I can't even think of an example off the top of my head. I'm sure uh, a few of the WA rusted-on diehards will, will be able to throw one or two at me. But I'm just putting it out there. As we were talking about curls, is there a trigger point to when someone will actually have a look at these numbers? Because we've just seen, like, Moshart arguably should have won. In fact, it probably wins if it's I think it should have. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, and it, it does, it ties in also with what we, I think we spoke about this from a question last week on the show, or maybe it was the week before, about these Betfair fluctuations and what impact does it have on your late wagering decisions and is there certain combinations that, things that of things that concern you when you're having a bet because i always carry on bet the drift mm. but there's some instances where you just can't i think you, you've just got to look at it as a group you know there's always going any bet you have can underperform Things yeah. can halve in the market and go like shit you know it's so you are you better off betting the drift over the year if the answer is yes just keep plugging away yeah I think with these cases where well, I'm just taking note and yeah. again, like I'm going to miss plenty of these, you know, lay orders that go up, but I found it just interesting that there was two in the space of 24 hours, both on horses that I backed. And look, to be honest, if I'm not sitting there at the computer, not backing anything, I'm probably going to miss it, but yeah. it yeah. still seems a little bit unusual. And the fact that they both came out and performed to where I would expect them to have performed at their previous start. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's probably the, the key point of interest. 
Uh, and it's the outlying, outlier in terms of dollars too, because you know the, the market gets pushed and shaped by the the forces we know about, but they, they generally bet to what the market's going to stand, not uh, you know come in with their spurs jingling and jangling and um, yeah. scaring the horses, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll touch on a couple of questions, and one of them's kind of my question, just in terms of why don't they factor in track bias? Uh, so, I mean, perfect example, Belmont on Saturday, nothing won rails in run, uh, and there was one winner out, uh, inside the first four lanes in the straight. Obviously, there was you know, almost the, the opposite pattern there at Rose Hill. Uh, Mark Roden, do you have any thoughts on why the track bias doesn't seem to be as factored in by some of the bigger syndicates? I don't know. It's only, but I think it is. As far as I know, they try and have a live bias sort of reading and factor it in. But it's only one column in the, you know, in the model. Um, they're not going to fall victim to what we call anchoring bias, just saying this appears to be happening. This horse doesn't meet that criteria. Therefore, it's not a bet under any circumstances. They all still have a price. Um, I also think this is a, this is a bit of a guess, but I also think they probably just have statistical models based on track condition, rail position and barrier and racing style and, you know, chuck that in the blender. And if they, there's still a bet, even though on our map it might look, appear to be unsuited, they're going to they're gonna bet anyway. Yeah. I guess that uh, is one of the difficulties, isn't it? You can identify a track bias and uh, the, my brief time on the stream on Saturday it was probably the, the, the one thing that I did note very early on. Uh, yeah. But you can have a horse from gate two that can still settle off the fence. Absolutely, yeah, um, that's right. It's usually just if it's gate one, like the uh, the favourite, yeah. unless it's Cotton Sox uh, not being able to get there on the line. But arguably, Shoes the Charmer should have won by about four lengths. I don't, I don't have any um, actual data on this, but it's a thing that I've noticed that it's with the in Queensland particularly, is that the fixed odds will move quickly on horses that look suited to a certain pattern. If the if a pattern looks to be emerging in the first three races, you'll go and quickly you know, reprice race seven and you'll find that the horses that if you're not quick enough, people are already onto it. So yeah. I think that's a thing that happens. But then um, I, from experience is that that's like an overcorrection and then yeah. we'll come, we'll ease out a bit, particularly on the fair, you'll still be able to get a, a price. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Okay. And that, that's, oh, no, go I was on. just going to say that's perfect for the bookies too. If you've got a, a popular horse, that you can actually sell at under the odds for a period of time. That's a perfect setup for them. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. Okay, uh, we've got a couple of questions. One we won't answer today, but uh, it's it's still a good question. This is from EB. Uh, G'day, I've got a question regarding short favourites. So under two dollars at Caulfield and Flemington, and their profitability long term. This is not including horses first up. In recent weeks, we've seen horses coming off good wins fail at short odds, most notably Dice Roll and I'm Thunderstruck, hype horses. If you blindly laid these type of horses, would you be profitable long-term? So I don't have any data just off uh, off the bat. We can run a few punting form systems and come yeah. up with something a little bit more concrete. But just at this early stage, do either of you have any thoughts there? No, you'd have to, you'd have to play around with defining your terms too. What's... Yeah. Is it like a, a win by a bit of a margin sort of thing, last start, and then if under what? 250 or something, how they go? It, it's well worth looking into. I think it's a very good question. What track was it? Uh, Caulfield and Flemington. I guess the oh, other... So it's just Caulfield and Flemington? Yeah, yeah, just in, in Metro Victoria, I guess. But uh, I guess a lot of these shorter-priced favourites as well would be 
you know, potential back and lay opportunities for some of those more astute traders yep. um, that might be able to recognize a few of these, but as opposed to say laying at SP. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Has something that we touched on a little bit with um, um, the minimum bet rule changes, you know, there's there seems to be a lot more grubby action, if that's a thing. Is that a word? Yeah. Uh, the, not grubby. Not a, It's not grubby anymore because everyone can get on when a price goes up. Um, just a, a, a quick look at um, Caulfield horses that are $2 or under. Uh, just very quick and very rough. 14 wins from 23 hits at Caulfield. 4.96 profit on turnover last 12 months. Okay. Um, Maybe well. a bit of recency bias there with... Um, Yeah, have dice to. roll, dice roll. Um, um, was Ayrton, on Saturday Ayrton there that, as well? But one Ayrton. Ayrton yeah, one, one. Yeah. Jigsaw, Ayrton, Holbein, Gimme, Pa, Mahabemides, Lequiro, regards Marie, Enta, um, all winners this year under two dollars. Okay. At Caulfield. Yeah. Like I said, we'll do a little bit more of a dive into that and uh, announce the results there on the preview on Thursday. Um, we've got another question, though, from Harrison. How do you read early Betfair markets when liquidity is still low? Are the back and lay orders of $5 just bots trying to figure out which way the market will go? Also, how do you deal with early moves on Betfair? One notable one on the weekend was Don't Tell the Boss, which saw a $1,000 back order placed an hour before the race at $9, but the horse still ended up SPing $17. Thanks. That's from Harrison. Now, uh, it's an interesting interesting question. Um, I trialed, um, I've trialled different uh, times for my bets to go into the market. Um, and different values with my bot um, and found and I think you can find this any info readily available I think just talking with Betfair uh, 90, 60 and 30 seconds before jump um, is when it matters um, as far as the moves go I think if I wanted to lay one that um that uh, I thought had no chance early um, for a stack of amount, and you put that money all in in one hit. I think that's a flag. Um, you know, if you see someone wanted wanting to get a couple of thousand out of a horse at nine o'clock for a, at a provincial meeting, or a few thousand out of a horse, so that I think that's like that always is is a flag to me as a query. I I really don't take a lot of notice anymore. Um, to be honest, yeah, any early like on that early stuff. Yeah, I must say it doesn't. It's not something that I pay a great deal of attention to because there's no point in WA anyway. Uh, Mark, do you ever have a look at early Betfair pools? It's hard to read. Um, they sort of. I, I might pay attention because they tend to, in town anyway, shadow the um, the fixed odds market to some extent. And when maybe one or two horses in a race aren't, if you know someone already, even if it is for you know pennies, is a significant number of points over what the fixed odds 
um, you know, they'll, they'll be sort of like, a, in general, a static percent, percentage over what the best fixed is, you know, or, or close to the best fixed. But then when there's absolutely no appetite for a particular runner, that's sometimes worth paying attention to. I think um, in race one, the Empire at Rose Hill on Saturday um, fitted that bill. He went up, I think, sub $5. Um, but he there was just no appetite to take any price in that range at all on, um, on Betfair at any stage in the morning. And he... Didn't run yeah. very well. Um, probably Tell you what, if you if um, I'm not sure whether uh, was it Daniel that asked the question. Uh, Harrison. Harrison. Sure. What um, what whether he's interested in following some Betfair flux or anything like that. If you are, um, take particular note of the races that are, are delayed because something's getting reshot or whatever other reason, and they're running a couple of minutes late, because all the money's gone in to the advertised start time from the bots and the you know, the big bots and that sort of thing. So if you want to watch, um, you know, have a look at some Betfair fluctuations um, and you're looking for a place to start, I'd, I'd start there and you can sort of start to get a handle on which horses the big bots are on and, you know, maybe you can start looking at why if that's, you know, if that's something that you're looking for with an answer of this question, I suppose. Yeah. Or the reason for asking the question, I should say. Yeah. As for uh, the example with Don't Tell the Boss or a $1,000 back order place now before the race, uh, just looking at the... The corporate flux, and I must say I wasn't really paying attention to a uh, great deal of attention to Flemington, but there was some shortening through the day, say $13, $14 at 9am into a low of around $7 at one point. So I wonder if that was just like a an owner or a supporter getting a little bit itchy and trying to throw out a something that they perceived might have kept shortening throughout the day. But uh, obviously the horse did drift back out, and I imagine that would be, again, without knowing too much about it, more map than anything. All right, uh, Curls, week ahead for yourself looks busy. On a few fronts, Peter. Um, <laughs> my son turns 18, which is staggering considering I'm 34. <laughs> uh, my son turns 18 tomorrow and um, he needs Dad to shout him down on the Gold Coast for a few <laughs> nights. So I've got a moral dilemma to work out whether I'm going out with him um, or whether I'm not. But more importantly, uh, we've got some rescheduled meetings in southeast Queensland that makes it an absolute punting palooza. Eagle Farm and Warwick on the Southern Downs have been rescheduled for Wednesday. So, like, Warwick, uh, Eagle Farm's a tip, hence... <laughs> And Warwick's a black soil track, so any moisture is like it's unraceable. Um, and we've all had we've all had we've had plenty of rain. That's why the race has been off. So that'll be like completely diabolical to bet into. Ipswich is then Thursday. The Rockhampton Newmarket Rocky Cup is on Friday, Saturday. So we've got the Rocky Newmarket on Friday, and then because we're not busy enough. We've got Bow Desert on Saturday, Doombin on Saturday, the Rocky Cup Saturday. We've got Toowoomba Saturday night. And then we have the rescheduled Sunshine Coast meeting with the Winx Guineas and the Glasshouse Handicap. So last Saturday's provincial meeting has been rescheduled to the Sunday because the BRC wouldn't budge with the Doombin meeting right. on the Saturday. Whoa. There's a lot of racing. Um a lot of racing. 
Imagine the quality of jockey that will be taking those rides at Toowoomba on a Saturday night with all those meetings on around it. The Rocky Cup's worth like 150000 on the Saturday. Then you've got the Doombin Metro meeting as well at the same time. Yeah. So there's good prize money at Rocky and Doombin. It's just going to be... It's going to be fun. There'll be a lot of races and a lot of scratchings, I imagine. There will be. Um, be torture. So it's probably a nice, it's probably a good thing that the early betting likely won't be as busy because you just don't know what price we're going to be taking with wet tracks and dual acceptors everywhere. So maybe it's just, I anticipate it's going to be a race by race, race day by race day scenario. Yep. That's okay. my week ahead looking forward to it. Um, that's, if I don't end up at Hollywood Showgirls. <laughs> Can we frame a market on that? I'm, I'm firm. No, I'm not going. I'm just thinking I'm going to give the young fella just a little talking to about a few life lessons that dad had maybe erred on when he was his age that he could possibly learn from my mistakes when I was his age. Okay, that's fair. Um <laughs> I can't wait for the updates during the week on social media. That's going to be outstanding. <laughs> Happy 18th. Uh, all right, for Dickens and for Oldham in Victoria, they've got Royal Sandown Wednesday, Cranbourne Thursday, Sale on Friday, Caulfield Saturday, Ballarat Wodonga on Sunday. They'll be finding a few edges there. And in WA, I'm pretty sure it's Belmont, Pinjarra, Belmont and Kalgoorlie, but it's pretty wet and awful this week. So, yeah. Bet small, miss small, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Guys, thank you. Uh, we'll catch up Thursday. We'll preview some races for the weekend. Outstanding. See you then. Thanks, guys. And bye for now. Bye for now.